Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Oh, hey, hello. Welcome to the show. Really glad to have you with us today. My guest is Nate Smith. He's a pharmacist and real estate entrepreneur and walks us through his journey of starting a house hack, a house that he bought and would rent out to his buddies and, and uh, college friends. And that got him the real estate bug. And he started buying more single family real estate after that and got good at it and got into owner financing and seller notes so that uh, he could have a little more access to capital at some really good rates too. So he kind of walks us through how he did that and then expanding into the multifamily world. So buying multifamily from duplexes up to hundred unit apartment complexes. And so we talk about that journey and how he's gone from that single house hack up to where he is now having 200 doors or so under management and all the adventures in between building a property management company and different things they've seen, putting the capital together. They're not really bringing on outside investors so that he's been able to scale that with a partner, which is really cool to hear how he's done that. And so I think you're going to enjoy the story. Nate's a great guy. I've known him for many years and was really interesting to dive into his real estate story and his progression over the years up to now uh, owning 200 doors. So we'll jump into that in just a moment. First, a word from our sponsors. And before that, even I'd like to say, if you're listening to the show, thank you so much. A five-star review in Apple would mean the world to us. That helps the algorithm and helps the reach of the show. So you've got a minute to go there and leave a five-star review. And if you're feeling really ambitious, maybe go into chat GPT and write a glowing, have it write a glowing review for the DJE podcast and stick that in there. But if that's too much, I get it. Maybe just a five-star review to help the old show here propagate through the interwebs. Thank you so much. A word from our sponsors, and then we'll get into the show with Nate Smith. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode's also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Nate, welcome to the show. Very glad to have you. How are you? I'm doing well, Devin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, awesome. We'll look forward to diving in, talking shop here and, and kicking around some real estate and business stuff. Uh, to kick it off, how, how about an intro? Where, where are you from? What, uh, what brought you to the, to the entrepreneur real estate game here? Yeah, um, I'm just a small town kid from Wisconsin. Uh, my my hometown's like 500 people. Did the whole small town thing. Went yeah. to a, a little uh, local state college there for undergrad. Uh, went on to get my PharmD, University of Wisconsin, which is kind of when my uh, real estate career started. Did just a classic house hack while I was there. Dad gave okay. me the down payment. Sweet. Did that. 
rented out rooms to my buddies, lived in that. Not a great investment, to be completely honest with you, but I learned so much like, you know, managing leases, tenants, utilities. We remodeled the basement while I was there. So doing a rehab, et cetera, um, sure. learn from there. And that kind of started it like as soon as I got out of college or actually I had purchased like two more before I graduated. Then it just kind of morphed into buying at the time. At that time, it was like a lot of student rentals back in my um, undergrad market because that's the only spot I had a, a competitive advantage, honestly, because I just lived there for f- like four years. Um, so I bought those for the probably the next three or four years and kind of got to financial independence doing that. And uh, the last three or four years has kind of been me pivoting to newer built multifamily. So I don't buy anything older than uh, 1970s now. Um, and I'm anywhere between two and a hundred units, kind of a little bit underneath you guys, kind of where you guys operate, I feel. Um, but yeah, mainly in my markets in Wisconsin, that's kind of where I'm super competitive. Uh, love strong the strong cash flow that the Wisconsin market has. Don't get some of the appreciation that I'm sure you guys get, but that's okay too. Sure. Yeah, that's trade-off there. Hey, on those on those houses you were doing, I guess on that very first house, was there, you know, what inspired you to do that? Was it your father? Was it books you read? What, you know, that's uh, not everybody does that. Seems like a cool place to start, but what sparked that for you? Yeah, exactly. I, my dad owned, uh, he's, he's the town veterinarian in, in our small town. So he did own a business. Um, there was small business talk in my life. Um, yep. I was always bent towards entrepreneurship pretty early on in life. I remember my, I think my first paneur was me diving at the local golf course in the pond and getting the golf. And, and this is not glamorous. There's all types of weird stuff down there, grabbing the balls, <laughs> washing them off and, and selling them. My mom would bring them to uh, the hospital she worked at and I'd sell them for like five bucks a dozen, just super cheap and Love make it. a couple of bucks. Yeah. So I guess I always had this bent. One of the big things that I think just kept coming up in the, in the books I was reading because I did like to read a lot was real estate and yep. another thing I, I often talk about is I was a, a, commi- a commercial or sorry, a charter fishing guide in Alaska. And we oh, take, awesome. yeah, we would take vacationers oh, out. Really? Like if you, yeah, if you want to go out and fish, you, you know, look up my company and I take you out. And then naturally we'd be like on a boat. summer thing or that you did that all the time for a couple of years or that sounds like an awesome gig. Yeah, it, it was perfect. So like it was summers during college. It was like the okay. perfect gig. Yeah. It was about a hundred days usually Memorial to Labor Day-ish. That's when you went up there. So it'd be the common scenarios is you're going to Alaska. I'd be on the boat with you and we're locked on a boat and like basically like a bedroom for 12 hours. There's going to be some talking happening. So I might say, hey, Devin, what do you do? You'd be like, I'm in real estate. Okay, cool. And then what I learned to do is just ask some very open-ended questions because the people that come to my lodge were pretty wealthy people. It, t- it cost right. a fair bit. So eventually yep. I'd ask something like, Devin, if you were 21, 22, what would you do? And you might say, Hey, I'd look at real estate, you know? And, and it kept coming up with these guys on my boat. I just would ask them these questions. I'm like, I gotta look at this real estate thing. I think that really kind of set me down the path. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And it, uh, there's nothing like somebody that's already doing it and has the thing or is taking the vacation or whatever. You're like, man, I want to, I want to emulate that person because a lot of times in our jobs we can't find that person. Maybe we find it within our families if we're lucky, but a lot of times in our jobs there's no heroes to emulate. But it sounds like you're spending all summer with prospective like role models here. They're telling you what to do. That's pretty compelling. Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of as you touched on, just when you're on vacation too, it's a different aura, right? It's like yeah. everybody's guard was down. Everybody seems so happy. It's like, man, I want to be like these guys. To your point. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I love it. So you get that first house done. And then you mentioned some, a series of houses after that, you know, a capital as a young person in real estate, I mean, real estate is pretty capital intensive kind of any way you slice it. So how are you handling the debt component, assuming you're using loans? And then how are you handling the equity component on, on getting these projects done? Yeah, exactly. So when I started purchasing, some of these houses were 100,000, 150,000 um, properties. So pretty easy. And then I was coming out of school with a farm D. So I made very good income right away. So just What's based on uh, pharmacy, I'm just a pharmacist. Oh, gotcha. Um, gotcha. Okay. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. So, so decent amount of income. So I was probably able to clip off two or three of these a year, just with my down payment money. And I started doing that. And then I learned that there was a better way. Um, I'm known for seller financing. So I've probably taken like two and a half to 3 million in seller money over the years. So I got pretty good at just having an open conversation with sellers saying, Hey, my name's Nate. I'm a pharmacist. I'm from this area. I have a great W2 here. Look at whatever you need to look at to feel comfortable. Um, let's say you got a hundred grand house. I can get 80 over here from the bank. I got 10 saved up. Would you give me the remaining 10 on, you know, a three-year balloon payment matching the bank debt? Yeah, I'll do that. It was kind of the right time. So yeah, Yeah, yeah. it it resonated. So were you getting rates on in like the fives on owner finance stuff? Are you giving them a lot more juice than that or? No, honestly, I'd say five would be on the higher end. Honestly, like a lot of times I would go in asking to match bank debt. And if you remember bank debt at that time, three, four. Yep. And a lot of times they would. So I just had to show them my loan terms and then we were good to go. I think the highest I've gone on seller's second money is like six. And that's more recently. Sure. Sure. That's awesome. I mean, and you're not dealing with the bank. It's such a it better life to lead. I mean, in our companies, I'm always trying to figure out like, how do we do this deal without the bank? Like, there's ways, there's ways to right do now. It. Oh it's my gosh. Yeah. Right now. yeah. Bank debt is, is like, feels like hard money rates from a couple of years ago, but oh. um, yeah, it unlocks this whole world to, uh, to do that. I want to kind of get very specific. People get wrapped around the axle around like loan docs and stuff like that. If they've never done an owner finance deal and they can't kind of mentally get through it. How did you do that on kind of some of your first seller finance stuff? Did you have a mentor or did you just go to the title company and said, Hey, draw up the docs? No. So like you mentioned, I had a mentor slash partner at the time who was further down oh. the path than I was. Love it. And yep. we, we did this deal, I think it was in 2015 or something like that. I was just kind of a fly on the wall. I was the W2 income. I showed very strong, you know, income to back this up, had a kind of a distressed portfolio that was getting separated. Two partners were in uh, mediation, separating it legally, like they had to separate these assets. One side was a property manager who we knew and was going to keep his side for sure. The other side didn't know much about property management and was very open to us taking over that half. So we were in um, close communication with them. It was actually a double close. They separated the assets in the morning and we bought his half in the afternoon. And what it what it came down to is it was 32 units across, I think like eight or nine properties. Okay. And it was about 2.5 million. It was a full holdback. And it, I, I literally remember this, like I walked into closing with a pen in my ID and I walked out with 32 or 50% of 32 units. And I think we got like a check for like a hundred grand. Cause he, you know, you got oh, prorated man. rents, you got your taxes. Yeah. And then I think yeah. we got a 50 grand credit. And I was just like, what just happened? Like, how is that just possible? <laughs> so, so that honestly opened the door and it was t- to his credit. It was honestly, mostly my partner. Like I was kind of a deer in the headlights on that one. Yeah. The numbers can get pretty big. I mean, even if you have a, a good paying job, you know, 
you're talking about multi-million dollar real estate deals. It takes some time to wrap your head around that stuff, but um, that's fascinating, man. What a cool kind of story to go through and then kind of open your eyes to this, this whole uh, private capital owner finance market. Are you okay? So you, that worked for some of the multifamily or for some of the single family stuff. Then you start getting a multifamily. What are you doing right now today? You mentioned, you know, two to a hundred units. Um, what does that look for? What, what does that look like? What's your buy box? Kind of what, what is a, a deal that would make sense for you right now? For sure. I mean, right now it's anything that pencils. We were kind of joking earlier. It's tough to find stuff that pencils, but for you sure. know, if, if you're like Nate, can you paint your ideal scenario? My, my ideal scenario is B class multifamily that could be built anywhere from probably 75 to 2000. Anything mm -hmm. newer than that, it's harder to make pencil. You know, the, the A class is really tough. That's been built in the last say 10 years. I'd love a little piece of value add. Uh, my markets, I know stuff good enough and I have my property management team in place that we can usually squeeze a little bit more than the average operator. So even if it's at market, I can usually get another five, 8% out of the market um, based on just my systems and having a significant uh, market share. But a little bit of meat on the bone is all I need. Five, 10% value add to the, yep. to the lay person is more like 15 to 20 to me. And I can, you know, really kind of run with it from there. Um, even the last couple of years, though, I'll just buy stuff because the market did it for us, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, last year was just phenomenal. Everything I bought in 21 went up, you know, 10, 15% just because the market said it it was going to and rent wise, you didn't have to do your value add, but that's not the case anymore. So it's it's tough to find those value add deals and people that are willing to have those conversations that uh, about cash flow because it's kind of been not... Uh, not as popular the last year, year and a half. People are buying yeah, crazy a, stuff. Yeah, different different animal. Are you at this point, are you bringing on investor equity, investor debt? Are you doing seller finance or how are you structuring the capital on these bigger deals now that you're doing them? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've been kicking this, the syndication model. I, I've reached out to you several times, as you know, you've been just a great, you know, wealth of information, kind of a mentor in that space for me. I haven't done a syndication. I've always done my own capital. I have yep. mentors that lend me money just on a straight return. I keep hundred percent of equity. Yep. Yeah. Um, nice and I, simple. Yeah, it's simple. And I don't have to yet, yet you know, my problem right now and I, what I, what I imagine syndication would fix for me is as soon as I run out of money, I'm out of money. And then yeah. I'm, you know, we're million, we're, you know, we're real estate guys, we're millionaires, but we can't afford Snickers, you know, yeah, right, like right. all our money's <laughs> de deployed all the time. Yeah. So th that that's a constant struggle I have right now. I'm, I'm building the war chest up and it's pretty strong right now, but then I'll deploy it and hopefully in the next 12, 24 months. And then I'll be like, man, I'm broke again. So I think yep. the syndication model would help me out a lot with that. But until, until I, like, I really feel like I'm coming across all like a plethora of deals that I can take down confidently, I'll probably just keep clipping them off myself if I can keep doing it. Yeah. That, I think that's an awesome model. I mean, that's simpler for sure. And if you get a sweet spot of deals a market, a deal type that you like, there's no reason not to just keep doing that. I mean, just because you could go and raise money doesn't mean you should for, for anybody listening, right? It's a very um, different animal when you're raising other people's capital, for sure. I mean, a totally different standard of care, in my in my opinion. And, you know, in most people's opinion, raising capital, they feel much more obligated to that third-party capital as they should. 
And yep. if you got the ability to do it yourself, man, that's that's great. And you kind of keep growing bigger and keep rolling it forward. And next thing you know, you look back and you, know, you get this portfolio that you don't need partners on. And I like what you said about the debt too. I was just talking to some friends of mine that were trying to put a deal together and it wasn't multifamily. It's kind of some other type of deal. And I was like, they're trying to figure out an equity structure and it was kind of getting complicated. And I was like, just see if you can raise it, raise some debt. It sounds like a short-term deal. You know, your investor, who's now your basically lender, they know what they're getting. You know, it's it's cut and dry. And so we've done a lot of debt deals too, where it's just quite simple, right? Yeah. Your investors are not hanging on, waiting three years to wonder what the market's going to do for their IRR, which could vary wildly. It's just kind of like, hey, give me X amount percent return and return it by this date. Boy, that's that's a win for a lot of passive capital for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, my mentor is one of my main lenders and there's like a cycle. I think a lot of investors go through, you're pretty active in the beginning, maybe you transition into a syndicator operator, then the back end, you, you know, you're, you're kind of just trying to manage your herd and your herd is, you know, your money and you don't mind like taking three, four points off of what you're going to get just to be safe. He's at that point, you just don't want to lose it. Right. And that's kind of where like my, my mentor is, is just, he'll take just a, you know, five, 6% return and he knows it's safe and he wants to help me out. Yeah. hundred percent. And at that point for somebody, there's like a spectrum of labor on one side and capital and you kind of start on the labor side and hopefully if you want to progress over to the capital side where you're just deploying capital. And for that person, it's very much a return on hassle and return on risk. You know, exactly. I could get maybe a higher IRR, but then my hassle goes up, my risk goes up, and I don't really want to do that. A lot of people are in that situation. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're trying trying to find right now is like the risk of owning the asset right now just doesn't seem to be worth it. Like there, there's not yeah. a premium to owning that asset right now. So that's that's tough. Yeah, 100%. So what does the portfolio look like today as you, you know, have you cycled out of some of the single family? Do you still have that? Are you in multiple markets or what, what's the footprint look like today? Yeah. So we're at about 200 doors across all markets right now. I've sold a awesome. few. Everything I, I purchase, I think I sold like six or eight properties the last couple of years just because people were just yeah. paying pretty good prices for them. I still own probably a dozen single family homes. Still have a lot of those student houses. They're, you know, Pay down, way down. They, they cash flow extremely well. Use them sometimes yep. to pull equity for big deals, obviously, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in about three markets mainly um, kind of the Green Bay, Appleton area, the Eau Claire area. And then in the central, there's something called the Wausau, Stevens Point area. Those are all markets in Wisconsin. All, I guess, Green Bay, Appleton, Oshkosh, probably closer to a half million. Um, the Wausau area, that's kind of about 100,000. And Eau Claire is probably 100, 150,000. So smaller markets. Than like San Antonio or anything like that, but kind of that's our bread and butter. And yeah, keep holding and cash flow is good. So we'll keep going. Yeah, I love it. And no exit pressure. No, I mean, if gosh, if you don't have a bunch of LPs on it, it's like just keep holding. Um, we're in Texas, you, you know, Europe north there. What what is the what is the climate introduced to the real estate investor in your neck of the woods that maybe we don't think about down here? Yeah, that that's a great point. Um, we obviously have a lot of humidity up there. So things, things go, I, I don't know if this is true, but if I run through the analogy, you're guaranteed, you're going to hit 20 below at least there. Let's say it's just 
just to be conservative, 20 below at some point in the winter, yep. and it's going to get to yep. 100. So that you, all your materials are going to see a 120 wow. degree swing every year, sure. no matter what. Like those are your two extremes, but things have to be very durable. And then obviously we ha- usually have a couple of weeks where it doesn't get above zero. So then you're worried about, especially with the older houses I, I invested in early on, you're worried about pipes freezing. So you need to make sure you got really good heat wrap tape, really good insulation. Um, sometimes like on the student rentals, if everybody knows how colleges go, they usually go home just before Christmas and don't come in back till mid-January. Yeah. We are like babysitting them, leave your heat on, do not turn your heat off. Some of them we know, like I, I got rid of a lot of my problems in the last couple of years. Someone we know would freeze every year. So be like, hey, you got to leave this faucet on as a trickle because it's going to freeze if it gets below negative 15. We just know it is. Sure. Um, so so stuff like that, that you don't necessarily think about right now is a big problem. And just like in mountain properties, we get ice dams. So water has this weird property. Maybe nobody thinks about this, but everybody knows it. Water has a very weird property. I'm a chemistry major, so this is weird. Usually things go from a gaseous, a gas state, which is when they're the biggest, down to a liquid state, and then down to a solid state. And they keep getting smaller as you go down. Water is right. one of the only substances that goes gas state big, liquid big, or smaller, and then solid bigger. Yep. Water expands when it freezes, right? It's yeah. one of the only things that does that. And what that does is every time, like if you think about the, like the spring thaws, so water is melting on all my roofs right now all day. Then it freezes again at night and it expands the crack just a little bit. And then it does the same thing next day and it expands it a little bit more. That's why like our road care in the North is way more expensive. Our property taxes are super high because of that. Every little right. crack in those that asphalt road just gets widened every time it freezes and melts. So that that's kind of water is our big thing up there. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Do you guys have like snow plowing and stuff in your line items for your for your multifamily stuff? Huge deal. Yep, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, it roughly, you know, depends on how big the asset is. If it's a, a big apartment complex, you're looking $500 easy every time it snows. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you're hoping for just a couple of big snowstorms and not these one, two inches that happen two to three times a week, but you can't really control that. But yeah, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Such, such a different kind of probably P and L than, than we're used to seeing. We got our own problems down here, but um, that's interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. So you, you spread out into these markets, which are relatively geographically kind of, if you zoom out nationwide, they're relatively close, but still um, it's not like it's all on, you know, one, one block or one neighborhood. How are you guys handling management? Um, Especially, I'm especially curious around, some of these assets are smaller, right? So what does, what does property management look for you guys look like for you guys? How do you handle that being that some of these assets are smaller or geographically dispersed? Yep. Yeah. So I had started a property management company with that same uh, mentor back in the day. I sold out of that in 18 and we kind of took that to each market we went to. It has since actually retracted out of the Green Bay Appleton market. So I have a third party PM there, which, you know, we can talk about is all has a, its own can of worms, right? Managing the property manager, but that same property management company that I sold out of manages the assets in two of the markets very comfortable. We have a strong market share that, that allows us to kind of manage those small assets. And we do manage other people's stuff, um, mainly to oh, just cool. keep market okay. share like that. Yeah. That's interesting. Taking on third-party clients. Do you guys actively look for those clients or is it just referrals? People know you, how do you kind of approach that? 
Yeah. So I, I do think they are actively again, looking we've waxed and waned on that. So my yeah. experience, and I, I think, um, I think you have a similar mindset on this as well, is there's a couple of advantages to, to managing other people's assets, but there's not a lot to be honest. Like it's right. not, this isn't a glamorous business. You're not like rolling around yeah. in cash. The two advantages yeah. we saw is when we scaled and took other on other assets. And I don't think you have this same advantage because your, your scale is already there. Say we had 50 or hundred units at the time and we brought on 300 more of other people's that allows us to get a more skilled maintenance technician that yeah. I couldn't support yeah. on my own hundred units or a full-time CPA. Right. So we got to play bigger than we were at the time, I guess you would say. Um, not that you guys have that problem because you guys already have, you know, buku units right and then the oh, other totally thing is it yeah it's it's yeah. A, it's a, it's a constant battle to try to i mean you staff one person on your management company that's a payroll you know burden every month and you got to spread that across a certain number of units i mean it's definitely a balancing act and the i mean if you're in the private equity side it's the money's there on the property management side there's no money there like <laughs> no, don't exactly. start a property management company unless you own a bunch of stuff <laughs> That's exactly it. And then the only other advantage, and again, is that has nothing to do with profitability, but sometimes, and I, I did get a lot of units this way, is if owners were going to sell, we're losing the first, second call. So well, a lot of times yeah. I got first look on things and That's I did really take some cool. units down. Yeah. 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 It's like the, the property management benefits are almost all ancillary, right? Better performance, exactly. maybe first look at deals. Like none of that shows up on a PNL for for the property, for the management, property management company. company. Itself, yeah. Right? So that's, that's exactly so right. Yeah. But um, a lot of times beats the alternative though, you know, if yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's tough out there. Yeah. We've kind of, we've done a few third-party clients, um, but we're, you know, our, our thought is like, it's just so intense dealing with different owners and, and everything. And so what I feel like is inefficient and then the fees are so small. I mean, it's, you're, we're collecting three, four percent of revenue on yeah. the property side, which you know, even on a 200 unit property is just not a lot of money. So, no, it really isn't. And some owners, there's just so many different styles, right? You think every owner yes. has your style, like, hey, I'm going to fix this issue. Like, I've always been big on kind of over renovating and like fixing yep. issues yep. for their rise. That's not the case with most owners. Yeah. So they get mad. They write checks go, for those. Yeah, for, for that yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's tough dealing with those different personalities for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act and it's always interesting to kind of hear people's take on the, on the property management side. So what do you see? Um, you know, we're talking in 2023 here, uh, the fed raised rates 25 basis points yesterday and the banks are, you know, blowing up around us kind of interesting times here. We've been in a rate hiking cycle for close to a year now. What What's on the, what's on the agenda for you guys for the rest of the year? What do you, what are you looking at? Is it pencils down? Are you looking at different markets or asset classes? Are you just kind of looking at the same asset classes? What are you, what are you seeing in the kind of months and, and the rest of the year here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say pencils are down. I mean, my pencil is always up. If the deal works, as we talked sure. about, it's tough to make yep. things work. I did get something the other day that comes across that, that works. Uh, it's an early 1970s built to set just a duplex in a market um, that owner just kind of wants under what I know market value is. And it does cash flow pencils marginally, but I just know it's probably 25% under where it would go on the MLS. So we might just do a quick little flip on that. Um, nice. I, I like using 23 to build cash 
you know? So like on this one, I'll probably take 60, 70 off the table if it goes how I, how I plan it anyways. Um, And just building that up for better opportunities, I think in 24, near the end of this year into 25 uh, for the long-term hold side of things, definitely not against holding it. Um, just things got to have multiple exits right now. So this one, like I said, it pencils, it actually kind of meets my buy box. I think it's like a 7.8 cash on cash. So it's not smoking. Usually I want eight plus, but you know, that kind of gets close to my buy box. So if I end up having to hold it, no big deal, but I probably will try to get out of the asset quicker just to get my cash back if I can. But yeah, multiple exits is huge for us right now. Don't want to be pigeonholed onto one business model. Um, So like if, like here, we're we looking at some mountain properties for you can STR if you want to do that, but regulations are coming down. So it kind of has to pencil as a long-term rental. Otherwise, you know, we're not doing it, you know, so that's, that's such a good point. I, I, um, I don't have any STR stuff. I, I used to, but that, and always the regulation aspect of it always scared me. And I think it's really smart, especially if you're listening and considering STR have the, have some options, you know, if it, can you at least break even or have a minimal negative carry if you've got to throw a 12 month tenant in that thing. And you know, you're buying $6,000 worth of furniture, whatever. I, I totally agree. Um, and it's going to make your life a lot easier and make you a lot more money. If you've got multiple options and exits going in for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. The regulation issue. And then the other project we talked about briefly that I go on right now is just kind of a personal in Colorado, but again, from like the multiple exit standpoint, we're going to live in that house where we're walking yeah. into a couple hundred grand of equity. So say it. things go wrong in the business and I got to bring the register. I know I'm still in a good spot to do that. I didn't pay market value. So I think that's yep. super important right now is just being able to get out of whatever you're going to get into. And to your point on STRs, like, you know, a bunch of the Go Abundance guys, um, one of the big co- counties here in Colorado where I live, Summit County, it includes like Breckenridge, Keystone, Frisco, Dillon, Silverthorne. They just went from unlimited, you know, STRs. They're, they've been starting to regulate that down to certain areas, but your grandfathered in. Now they're just trying to pass something for only 36 days a year. And like, I know a bunch of the oh, GoPros, yeah, 60, 70 stays a year. And they're like, oh my God, we're getting crushed. And they crushed. bought on those numbers, you know, where they yeah. could do unlimited stays. That's going to be very detrimental to that market. Yeah. If that thing doesn't pencil as a long-term rental, which, you know, it's, it's tough. They pay close to market for it. So yeah, I love the, I love the optionality of getting into these things. I think that's really smart. What would you say? So you've been at this for a number of years. You've been successful. You've had a lot of different approaches, asset classes. Uh, love the way you approach capitalizing these deals with some of the seller financing. If somebody's starting out in this game, or maybe you, when you were just starting now with the benefit of the hard won wisdom, what do you say to somebody that's starting out or, or wanting to get a real estate, or maybe you're on that boat and there's that 20 year old guide out there and you're on your vacation, you know, and he's asking you what, what he should do. What do you, what do you tell that person? Yeah. I would preface the conversation. I will this too. You know, there's just some like old adage that usually what was good the last decade, maybe isn't going to be so good the next decade. We've lived through just a phenomenal decade of real estate. Yeah. I will say that the vintage of real estate investors that are getting started today in the next three years are going to be, and I think I can say this on here, kick ass because they're going to have to figure it out and they're going to really come up and 
in a tough, tough environment, tougher than I came up in. I mean, I'm even willing yep. to say that I came up in a pretty easy environment. So they're going to have to really figure it out. They're going to maybe be tougher than me in 10 years, but it's tough to get started right now. But I solemnly believe, and I would tell the, the 20 year old kid, if, if it's to be, it's up to you, man, and you can do anything you want on this world. If you want it bad enough, you absolutely can find deals in this market. They are, are there. We still find them on a daily, you know, a monthly basis. They come across our desk, right? You can do it. Like, but there are some headwinds right now. But again, I, my overarching theme is the vintage of real estate investors for the next three years are going to be awesome if they make it. I love it. Yeah. Stronger the wind, stronger the trees, right? Exactly. And you know, on that note, it's going to take out this entire swath of people that otherwise might be doing it that are just not going to make it or not even going to be able to enter. And so your competitive pool goes down too. And I totally agree with you. It's we're always trying to make deals pencil, always looking, always ready to buy. Sometimes they're easier than others, but you that's just the game if you if you're gonna play it. That's you, you always got to be a uh, somebody said it <clears throat> always stuck with me. Hey, I'm a professional investor. This is what I do. It's sometimes you're better than others, but I don't just sit out three years waiting for something to happen. I, this, I'm a professional investor. It's what I do. Yep. So I think that's very, very valid point. Um, that's exciting, man. I love hearing your story. Love hearing what you built and, um, can't understand how you guys deal with the snow and the cold, but obviously you figure that out. <laughs> you probably can't understand how we deal with 110 degree heat down here, but we figure it out. Um, if somebody listening, Nate wants to connect with you, what's a good avenue for that? Oh, uh, you know, honestly, my Instagram, uh, I'm doctor underscore Nate underscore real estate. Try to put out some daily content there. Uh, get right down into it. Just a lot of numbers stuff. Show you how I structure deals, walk you through all awesome. the seller stuff I do. So if you find value in that, give me a follow. Awesome. Well, we'll link to IG there in the show notes. If you're listening to this show, you can scroll down and click through to that. Um, Nate, it's a pleasure having you on, man. Great catching up and wish you guys success in the year ahead. Yeah, you, you guys too. I uh, can't wait to catch you on the next conference. Awesome. We'll see you. See you, man. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.